I invite you to read along with me, Luke chapter 23, verses 50 through 24, 12. I'm not sure how long this water has been up here. It must serve me right, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, that was a good year for water right there. All right. <laughs> Listen to the word of God. Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph, who though a member of the council had not agreed to their plan and action. He came from the Jewish town of Arimathea, and he was waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and he took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and laid it in a rock-hued tomb where no one had ever been laid. It was a day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them, and the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to the hands of sinners and be crucified, and on the third day rise again? Then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all of this to the eleven and to all the rest. That was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them as an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home amazed at what had happened. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, through the many words that are both within and without, may we come to you and encounter you, the living word, through your words proclaimed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the first day of the whole new world began penultimately with women's work. Now, I liked Kate Bush the first time around. And she's made, <laughs> and she's made a comeback, right? With uh, she, that, her song being featured on Strange? Stranger. Stranger Things, obviously, I've watched that. Haven't, no. But it's a great song. And actually, my, one of my favorite songs of hers uh, was a song she wrote for a movie um, she's having a baby, I think was the name of the movie. Um, and, and the words, it's called Woman's Work. And the scene where this plays in the movie is where uh, a woman, his health is at risk when she's having this baby. Um, and so they're not sure if she's going to live. And so this song plays. And by the way, there's a great cover of this by Maxwell. So go home and watch both videos on, on YouTube. It's worth watching. And this is how the song says. Pray God you can hope, you can cope. 
I stand outside this woman's work, this woman's world. Oh, it's hard on the man. Now his part is over. Now starts the craft of the father. Well, the ultimate work of the resurrection was the craft of the father. The Bible, from beginning to end, is a story of God's relationship with humanity. The Gospels, the beginning of the New Testament, are in part the account of God literally becoming part of the story. Now, of course, the central actor in Luke's Gospel, which we've been in Luke ever since uh, the beginning of Advent, is Jesus. The disciples, Peter, they're an important supporting cast role. John the Baptist plays an early important role. But in Luke's gospel in particular, he brings out the role women played in the early movement around Jesus. There were the miracle stories, Jairus' daughter, the woman with the issue of blood, Mary and Martha, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, and of course, Mary, the mother of Jesus, who in Luke's gospel, is a model of what we all should be as followers of God. Then in Luke chapter 8, there's that great story, we, I preached on it, of the sinful woman who comes and blows up the dinner party uh, by washing Jesus' feet with her tears of penitence and an expensive ointment. We're told immediately after that, in Luke 8, that there were a group of women that followed Jesus as well. And these women, including Mary Magdalene, uh, Susanna, Joanna, supported the disciples financially. No other gospel tells us that. But Luke points out that this journey through the Galilee and into Judea was not free. And that it was the women followers of Jesus who financially helped supply it. And those women stood and watched him die. And they came on the first day of the week to pay their last respects. I wonder if that unnamed woman in Luke 7, some people say she's Mary Magdalene, but we don't know. I wonder if the same woman who had washed his feet as an act of love and gratefulness for the mercy that she had found at the feet of Jesus came one more time, came one more time to anoint his dead body. So they showed up, but the stone rolled away and there was no body. And on top of that, there were two guys that were glowing in the dark. They were terrified. We were told, of course they were terrified. This is one weird story. It's just a weird story. All the gospel narratives are weird. And all four gospels. But how can they not be? Right? I think next week's story may be even weirder than, than this one. Okay? Of Jesus showing up with the two guys walking. And I think there's a kind of integrity to the gospel narratives. Because how do you talk about this? How do you talk about the resurrection of the dead? The Gospels do not try to explain the resurrection, and frankly, they don't really try to prove it. 
this resurrection, or at least this version of it, was not at all what they were expecting. They were not expecting the Messiah to get himself killed. And they certainly were not expecting the resurrection to happen for one person. But the Gospels do bear witness to what the first followers of Jesus, that first group of band around him, the people who wrote the accounts, probably the eyewitnesses that told Luke, they believed he had risen from the dead without, without wavering. Now it's hard for us moderns to grasp, believe, or the most soul damning of all to even care sometimes about this story. But the reality of the resurrection is not dependent on our collective intelligence or faith. Thank God for that. And whether or not you benefit from its life-changing hope and power, well, that's up to you, right? To receive the gift or not from God. I apologize for those of you who are at... um, at the sunrise service, but I'm going to repeat my best Easter story. The terror that those women fell, I I think, in a little way, I felt um, in my earliest Easter memory. I was about five years old and was in West Virginia with my beloved grandmother at her house. And she came and woke me up at dark Easter morning. And I didn't know quite what was going on. My dad was sleeping because he'd worked a double shift. My mom was taking care of my little sister. So my grandmother and my grandfather came along grumbling because at this point he was still having an ongoing argument with God. Um, He eventually lost that argument, um, but it went on for 40 years. But he was grumbling and cursing, and we got in the car, and I'm thinking, why is it dark? Why am I in the car? But Grandma wanted me to come. If she wanted me to come, I would. And so we drove through the country, and we pulled into a parking lot, a gravel parking lot, got out of the car and walked into a cemetery. Now, when you're five years old and it's pitch dark, a cemetery is not your first choice of where you'd like to be. And I'm like, what are we doing? And so I'm clinging onto her hand, we're walking through the dark, and there's a little crowd of people, and it got worse, because there was this wild out preacher that started yelling at us. Now, I don't remember what he said, but he was yelling and waving his hands. And at one point he said, and the dead shall rise and the graves will open. And I'm going, oh, sweet Jesus, not today. Please, not now. <laughs> but I looked up and my grandma was happy. And somehow that was enough to calm my fears. Why do you look for the living among the dead? So the women go and tell them what they saw. And of course, the men don't believe it, but I'm going to give them a pass on this one. At least Peter is curious and he he gets up and he runs and and is amazed when he sees the empty tomb. But then he goes home. (laughs) The resurrection of Jesus is the hinge doctrine of our faith. Now, it has metaphorical value, like we all may need a resurrected approach to our life, right? We often need to start a new life. This church is going through a resurrection of sorts. I'm thankful for that. But when you are sitting by the bedside of a dying loved one, when you walk into a room 
to a talk to a group of survivors from some senseless act of violence. When you have to watch a mother holding her dying child in her arms, when you stand by a graveside, then the hope of the resurrection may be the only ground that you have. Karl Barth, arguably the greatest uh, Protestant theologian of all time of the last century, said this. What happened on that day of Easter became, was, and remained the center around which everything else moves. For everything lasts its time but the love of God, which was at work and was expressed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, lasts forever. Because this event took place, there is no reason to despair. And even when we read the newspaper with all its confusing and frightening news, there is every reason to hope. Now that was a man who barely got out of Germany alive. Hitler was trying to arrest him and then kill him. And there's a famous picture of Karl Barth lecturing to a group of broken men in the ruins in Berlin in 1948. That's resurrection. In Luke's gospel, the women believe without seeing. Jesus seems to, or Peter seems to as well. The women never see Jesus at this point in Luke's gospel. It's different than the other gospels. Which, of course, the punchline is that is, is the same position we are today. And yet it's the hope we have that he is alive. Some 30 years after I was at that graveyard at night as a child, I was at the same graveyard on a good Friday officiating my grandmother's funeral. And I used some of the same words that that crazy preacher had used. Death was swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And in two days, I will be going back to West Virginia to officiate my mother's funeral. It certainly has been a strange Lent for me and even a more poignant Holy Week this year, working on this sermon while working on my mom's service. Not as strange <laughs> as the first Holy Week, the women and disciples had, but in a personal way, the stakes are the same. And with a nod to Yosef Pelikan, the great historian from Yale, the decision we have to make this day, is this merely the ritual of a dead faith performed by the living? Or do we stand on the testimony of the living faith of the dead. On this Easter Sunday, I choose once again to say yes to the resurrected Christ. And I invite you to reconsider, to renew, or perhaps for the first time, say yes as well. The earliest statement about the resurrection we have written down is St. Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, this is how he ends that chapter. 
Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you to join with me in a responsive reading of Christ our Passover. Together we say, Alleluia. Christ our Passover has been sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Alleluia. For since by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Hallelujah. I invite you to continue our worship by giving to God your gifts, your tithes, and your offerings. 